0: Welcome to another intriguing episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Deb Monroe. Deb, the
1: voice. We've got her.
2: That's helped me to dabble in literally virtually every aspect of voiceover. I have done oodles and oodles and oodles of commercials and narrations. I've done animations, video games, message on hold, talking toys. I'm a voice for several radio stations, a few TV stations.
0: Monetizing your creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents?
2: But I do believe in this field, there's enough work to go around and Just because you have a good skill set doesn't mean you're going to make it. You have to be very aggressive in your business and you have to really, really know what you're doing. And and that's what I maintain, whether I'm coaching or as a talent.
0: We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining us is my friend and our co-host, Fred Keating. Today, we're both in Vancouver, and joining us via Skype from Toronto, Canada, is a wonderful voice actor and voice coach.
1: Fred, tell us who we have. Deb Monroe. Deb, the voice. We've got her. We're talking to her now, and I'm going to stop and ask her To please give us an indication of your place in the firmament now in terms of voice artistry and coaching Deb Monroe.
2: Well I'd like to think I'm one of the best that's it (laughs) oh my gosh it's been a wonderful journey I've been doing this for over 22 years now so excited and proud to say. What is this Deb You're, you're a coach right? Yeah, I'm a I'm a coo- that, I, coach. Coaching kind of happened by by happenstance, as opposed to me choosing it. I always wanted to be an actor. That was the prime thing for me. I just wanted to be an actor. I, I thought I just wanted to be on camera. Uh, as a child growing up, I was an only child, so. When I watch TV, I, I actually cry at all the award shows, it's really quite sick, I still do. Um, I just get very tearful, I, I love the appreciation that actors get and the appreciations that they need, I guess, in, in, more importantly. And so I used to think I always wanted to be an on-camera actor, and then um, I became a young mom at the age of 16 and decided I had to get a real job instead. <laughs> I had pursued a theater and, and things like that at that time, but, but nothing for, for the extension of, of acting. So my mom saw an ad for a broadcasting course. And I never thought of broadcasting. And she's like, you know, would you be interested in doing something like this? And it was just, hey, I'd do that. It's, I loved reading out loud. I always loved that at school. I was the kid in school, you know, who wants to read out loud? would pick me, pick me and have my hand way up high. And she'd start picking me and then all of a sudden she'd stop. And I'd be like, why aren't you picking me anymore? She's like, well, you have to get other people who don't like to read out loud to read out loud, Debbie. And I want to go back to her one day and say, I make money. Reading out loud for a living. <laughs> what were you doing suppressing my passion? <laughs> you know, so um the broadcasting course was awesome, but i I wasn't comfortable speaking to myself. And I loved reading scripts. I loved reading commercials. I loved all that stuff. But being on air was very uncomfortable for me. So did you actually
0: do that? Sorry to interrupt. Did you work in radio?
2: Yeah, I was actually um, I graduated one of the top of my class. I had seven job offers out of school, which at that time was I thought was just normal, but it was quite high, I guess. All of them were out of town. So I had to move from Calgary. I was I was uh, training living in Calgary at the time. And I had a two year old baby. And the highest paying job offer was a thousand dollars a month in uh, fort st john bc so i packed up my daughter and myself and we moved there and i was on air for just under a year and i was um really good at it in school because all the students would walk by the window and i could write my own shows i could write my own commercials i mastered everything When I got into the actual world of it, it was four white walls, no feedback, no phone, no internet. Well, there was a phone, but it wasn't really used. No second DJ in the room with you, nothing. So I felt very uncomfortable, and I think it was really obvious when I was doing my shows that I was uncomfortable.
0: You're a bit of an extrovert. I think you were lonely.
2: I was very lonely. I really was. And and I, I, I remember them telling us, you know, take a picture of someone in the room with you, take a picture. But how many times can you tell tell your two-year-old about, you know, the news and the weather? And <laughs> so I just kind of, I didn't enjoy that part, but I loved doing the commercials. So long story short, when the internet kind of came about, I had gotten out of it completely. And I just had uh, volunteered and freelanced at the odd radio station here and there doing commercials whenever I could for like 25 bucks here and there. And then when the Internet kind of came about, um, my ex at the time, he had uh, the advantage at his work where they would buy us computers. So we were right in the birth of the Internet. And so I found a guy that did it at home. I think he was lying, but he said he did it. He made a studio for $10,000, which I was not going to do, and he said he was the only one doing it online. I still beg to differ that he was the only one at that time, but that's what kind of started my birthing in voice because I learned I could do this at home. And because I started doing that, eventually people started asking me how I did it, how I did it, how I did it, and I started volunteering classes, basically, and living in Edmonton at that time. And I just got kind of twofold volunteering coaching, so I started charging at some point, and it just kind of took off into a world of its own. I met some amazing mentors in the U.S., they kind of took me under their wing and I just kind of grew from there as a coach.
0: You've done a lot of commercials. You've done voice acting for, uh, for animation series and that
2: sort of thing. It's all very intriguing. I've done tons of stuff. And actually um, if you, if you are in a market such as in Edmonton, Alberta, it's what I call a medium market. And in the medium markets, you really can be a jack of all trades in some aspects. So I found myself also getting involved behind scenes with, with, productions as well. And where that was a real advantage to me in the voice area was if I was the driver on set or the production coordinator or craft services, I was casting, I did casting for a while as well. Any of those positions really got me to the connections I needed. And I would start working them or, Hey, who's doing the voice for your spot? Hey, who's doing the voice? And I would start working my, getting my own work that way. So I really have done every aspect of camera except for operating the camera itself, short of little tiny budget stuff. So I've been very blessed. I, I'm so grateful for my Edmonton experience because I was really able to dabble into a little bit of everything to see where I felt I was strongest, to have a better understanding of everyone's positions. Um, and when I started voicing, I was casting at the time. I was still enjoying the on-camera stuff quite a bit, but. I found that I was gravitating more towards the voice side again and I was lucky enough that I was able to land an agent of of my choosing at that time because of my positioning and the first audition that he had for me was an animation. And so I went to the audition and I landed the job. They were searching all over Canada for this roving news reporter. And interestingly enough, that role for me was Carla Caramba with a show that's now called Benjamin the Elephant. Originally, it's called Benjamin Bloomchen. It's a, a big series in Germany that uh, they've recreated for the English market. She was um, a, ro- a roving news reporter. And she was very over the top. It was, everything was simply sensational. Hi, this is Carla Karama reporting live with late breaking news. So everything was over the top and very broadcasty. And so for me, it was easy. But then I found after about six months into it, they weren't auditioning me as much anymore as my other colleagues. And the other colleagues were booking roles. I wasn't. So I went to the casting director and I'm like, well, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? She's like, nothing, nothing. I learned through film training that I was really um, sing-songing everything. Everything had a rhythm. And so I had to start going on a big journey to start breaking my broadcasting habits. And that's kind of when I got and dabbled into film training, theater training, and the broadcasting. And I really love that I have those three backgrounds because I feel like a very well-rounded actor. I'm able to, with film, you're able to go less is more and be more realistic in it. With theater, it's a little more over the top, get it right, get it perfect. Broadcasting is a little more oomph to it, a little more professional or fake as they, they also call it. So I've learned all aspects of that, and that's helped me to dabble in literally virtually every aspect of voiceover. I have done oodles and oodles and oodles of commercials and narrations from all gamuts. I've done animations, video games, message on hold, talking toys, which was really cool. I've done that a few a few this last few years. I'm a voice for several radio stations, a few TV stations. So I've just really been able to dabble into just about everything, and I don't recommend that for most people because I think you should specify in one area. But um, I love that I have the versatility that I have that I can kind of get into a lot of stuff. But I definitely, my strengths are more so in a natural way in narration and commercial. Animation is so much fun and I love it, but I'm not as insane as my colleagues are. I'm a little bit insane, just not as insane as they are. And, And I find the more I get to know animation talent... Um, they're a little wacky. They really are. they They just have a little screw loose that's just in perfect control enough to get where they need to go and and they just do way more than even I would do. And I think I'm good at animation, but they're just amazing. So I'm good at animation, I believe, and I'm great at video games, but um, I know my strengths are definitely in the commercial imaging areas.
1: But in fact, when I hear you uh, talk about starting in the uh, in and loving the commercials when you were back in that, uh, 10-watt radio station. Mm-hmm. It's not that uh, Deb Monroe is is marketing or has one silver voice. It's voices. Yeah. You are a voices artist, not a voice artist. Very because true. Uh, not only does that uh, spread the opportunities or, or uh, broaden your own uh, uh, ability to uh, get involved with a variety of productions, but then they become your stock and trade as well. Tell us about the uh, development or finding of an appropriate voice for the commercial or the animation episode that you've been booked for.
2: Sure. Um, It took me quite a long time to learn how to break my broadcast habits or even know what the heck they were and understand them enough to, to, to change that because otherwise everything I was reading, no matter what it was, had this rhythm like I was suggesting. And so in learning film, I started understanding how to be more realistic with my voice, so I then developed a couple different characters right away. I had my broadcast character, which is, everything's on sale for $5.99. It's a real fake smile and you're real happy to be there, but you might not be. Um, Then you have more the film, which is, it's on sale for $5.99. It's a really good deal. So I'm just meaning it more internally. And so that started creating a more signature Deb Monroe as opposed to the broadcast Deb Monroe. Then when I started to get into the character stuff, well i i I really like and always have my whole life always studied people people i love people i love life i love the fascination of what it offers us and i see the best in all of it and so when i would hear a quirky voice or someone that was unique in quality that i think would be really cool for animation or something else i would actually make notes on them so i would i would do a character sheet that would tell me how what they look like, where their voice is placed, how they're standing, anything uh, typical they would say. So we have a character uh, worksheet that we draw from. And then I would actually do a voice refit and I would mimic it. So you don't want to try and be someone else, but you can draw from other people's personalities, textures, tones, attitudes, and things like that. And then make your own version of them. And then it becomes unique. So I, I do this consistently now. I never did it as much in the beginning. I kind of had my stock reads, which I think most of us do. We have one or two or three maybe reads. And in broadcasting, we called it soft sell, medium sell, hard sell. In in my terminology now, it becomes mom, doctor, lawyer, teacher, strict witch. (laughs) Like whatever it is, they become personalities. So even if I'm doing commercials or narration, I'm always becoming, and I harp on this a lot, I, I harp on the fact that I'm not a voice, I'm a personality because my voice is a dime a dozen. There's nothing unique and crazy wonderful about my voice. What is great about what I can do, however, Is the versatility and range to change it up to become different people. So what I call this industry is multiple personality on a stick, but we're in full control of it. So we are able to channel through things. Like if I was ever angry or something, which is very rare for me, thank God. But um, if I'm ever angry, I go into my booth and I create a character out of anger and then I record it and I listen back and and I can create a lot of really cool things out of that emotion. So I try to also bring in my own emotions in my day and And bring them into different characters. So I'm always trying on new characters and probably even more so now than I ever did before, because now you get to a point of saturation where they've heard your voice a million times. So you're always trying to find something new because in this industry, you will saturate. A client will change their mind after 10 years of using your voice that they need to remarket. So I want to be prepared for those things so that I have another voice to offer them or in my case, another personality to offer them.
0: Yeah, I, I've heard some people use the phrase uh, voice actor. Do you consider yourself to be a voice actor then?
2: Yes, because the difference and, and why there's such a, a distinct difference now is voiceover is, even though it's widely used and clients still use it today, what we, terminolo- what we term voiceover as is is what I started as, is a broadcaster, someone who voices over copy. They don't connect to the copy. They don't necessarily mean the copy they're just getting it out to get out and you hear this all the time on the air and a lot of the reasons you're still hearing that read is because when I was an on-air talent part of my salary package was to voice X amount of commercials at the end of my shift we're not paid for that. It's part of our salary package. So therefore, we do what's called a rip and read. We just go in, just quickly look it over for pronunciations, because in broadcasting, that's the most important thing is the pronunciations. And we just rip and read without meaning it. Voice acting, on the other hand, is you combining that film quality, which is actually meaning what you're saying, bringing real life to it. The difference between film, however, and voice acting is yes, there's a realism, but there's that's where it comes back in a theater a bit. There needs to be oomph in it. It, it. Film can be very less is more, and you can go quite subdued in film. In voice, you need to cut through, you know, production quality, music, sound effects, the baby crying, things that are going on in their normal environment. So you have to cut through. So the voice has to have a really strong energy in it. So it's a little. A little bit more fake than a natural read is but it's still what they consider a natural read so now the voice actor becomes the the person who is very versatile and can really mean their words not just say them
0: great so now you left radio and you went into voice acting backing up a little bit then how did you actually get your break
2: well, my break actually became that animation when I was casting. That was a huge project. It was worth some some good money and I and I got to get in the door of an animation company which was which was a huge uh, lift for me. It just skyrocketed from there. I really got on to the pay-to-play sites which are websites that we create that are auditions that are sent to us every day in email and we pay a subscription p- uh, fee to get these auditions. So I joined the site, the originating site, which was Voice123 right in the first year of their birthing. So I consider myself a veteran of the online world. For the longest time work just came to me, you know, it just, especially through the pay to plays and gaining lots of clients that way. So I just got kind of lucky in the beginning.
1: So we're really speaking to a pioneer here.
2: (laughs) In my opinion, yeah, of the online world. I, I really do believe I am.
1: But I want to draw attention to another aspect of that, uh, and that is you, you briefly mentioned the character worksheet, and I want to draw people's attention to the fact that you have, in addition to perhaps being one of the first, uh, as you've just described, the fact that you've also designed uh, and uh, collected, and in many cases invented, a curriculum uh, for voice artists or actors. Uh, yes. You talk about the character worksheet, but but I've seen workbooks <laughs> that you've produced, and I've seen yes. you, you uh, distill the, the knowledge that's only floated around uh, verbally for decades and uh, segmented it, and uh, it's a, a testament to uh, the way that you're able to articulate aspects of the art and craft for us now. Uh, I think that it's come from the incredible amount of investment of, of, of thinking that's gone into uh, cataloging the elements of success for voice actors.
2: Well, I really appreciate that, and and as far as the character worksheet, I first have to give credit where credit is due, and James Allberger was my original mentor, and he had a, um, a character worksheet in his book, and he gave me permission to use that. So that's where I drew that from. Now. Prior to him, there was another lady, Elaine Clark, and she also created a similar type of breakdown, but it was the who, what, where, when, why, how of copy. Whereas with James, he took it into an acronym, state of audience, character, backstory, things like that. So what I've done, and, and I thank you for that, Fred, because what I have done is I value all and always value and give credit where credit is due. It This is a collaborative effort. It's not just me. But where I do take credit for myself, I think, is... Because I'm a talent first, I create and teach um, curriculum based on what I would want as a talent and how I would want to be spoken to. And really, going back to that casting director who I asked, you know, what am I doing? What am I doing wrong? She wouldn't tell me, and and that actually angered me because as actors, we are desperate to impress. That's that's our need. Our need is to uh, be appreciated and and to learn and grow and. It might not be that an actor's initial thought is to learn, but when you start getting involved in acting, that's all you do. You constantly learn and grow and adapt and adapt and adapt. So I was frustrated that they wouldn't tell me what I was doing wrong because I would have been happy to go out and fix it if someone would just acknowledged it. And so I decided that day that I was going to coach and help people because I was going to be someone who would tell it like it is. I would say, and and I was that way as a casting agent, and I was proud of myself as a casting agent because I would help people in their audition succeed the audition during the audition, not just, here, take a class from me and give me money. It was more... Listen, I need to look good here, too. So it's selfish. If I need to look good, you need to look good. So I would help people on their slates. And these are all things that I've learned under under many coaches that I've taken. and and I've taken the best of what I think each one has given me, and I've created what I think is the best that I can offer everyone else. but i I do appreciate the way in which I write things because I try to write them all in layman's terminology because i I myself am not a scholar. Uh, high intellect so when I get all these really big words I don't know what they mean and I feel stupid and so I try to think of that way for my students I try to think okay I don't want them to feel stupid when they're reading my stuff I want them to feel like they understand every single thing I say and they can relate and then they know for a fact that I've been there done that and I can relate and and I teach them based on all my mistakes I'm not afraid to give out the secrets and I don't believe there are any I don't believe anyone should own secrets But I do believe in this field, there's enough work to go around. And just because you have a good skill set doesn't mean you're going to make it. You have to be very aggressive in your business and you have to really, really know what you're doing. And and that's what I maintain, whether I'm coaching or as a talent.
0: And Deb, speaking of mentoring, what would be the top advice that you would have for people who want to get into this business that you're in as a voice actor?
2: Uh, Number one, prepare for about six years before you can even get money. You know, um, it's harder and harder and harder now with coaches like myself teaching. It's harder and harder to get in. It is not impossible. And I am not of the like mind who says, well, you should never do this. There are two types of people I would say don't do this. Number one is someone who has very bad speech impediments that you can't get around Number two, someone with really poor reading skills. Those are two elements you absolutely cannot have in this industry. So, those are the times when I would actually stop and say, Hey, you know, are you sure this is the right thing for you? Short of that, anyone that has a voice and can connect to copy can do this. But that will come with training. I guarantee it. So, when my colleagues started, so the people above me have been doing this for, Fred Keating being one of them, um, they've been doing this forever. And, and they were very lucky. I'm not saying Fred did, but in, in, and I know a lot of my colleagues were just lucky. They happened upon someone who knew someone who knew someone who got them into a studio. And it wasn't an online thing. There was no way to find it and reach out for it. So it was a new entity in the sense of not many people did it. And so they didn't necessarily have to train because the training was done on set the training was done in studio. You were learning from the directors, from the jobs themselves. Nowadays, if you don't have experience, like literally some work experience, I can't get you an agent. And you can't get an agent, even with experience sometimes, even with connections. So the old school methods of of obtaining work in this industry are saturated. So you have to be much more new school and you have to be much more aggressive and utilize, in my opinion, the world wide web and pitching clients yourself. So if you don't have much drive, then you need to either have permanent life coaching. Like I do a lot of life coaching for the students because they don't have the drive. So I give them plans. I want this done by this time at this, and and they work better under that environment. Not a lot of people work well on their own. I myself work much better, I think, on my own. Like, I think I'm a great group worker as well. I'm a good team player, but I like controlling my hours. I like controlling my day. If you don't have a, a, like, I'm able to dedicate and commit to hours in a day that I need to commit and keep marketing and keep going forward. So if you don't have that drive, this is a very difficult industry for you. And a lot of people think you just need a good voice, but you don't. You can can have the most amazing voice, but if you can't read copy and make it sound like it's your own words, you're going to fail this industry quite fast. It's really 50% business, 50% skills, and you need to obtain both.
0: You know, you've just got so much in your mind I know. That, uh, that I think we need to do a few more episodes. And, and before we
1: sign off, Fred, you have one more question? Not a question so much as a, a statement uh, based on what Deb has shared with us. And, and in the spirit of the series, Monetizing Your Creativity, How to uh, Earn a Living While Pursuing Your Passion, I just wanted to point out that that whole coaching, teaching, uh, writing of curriculum opened up a new avenue of revenue For Mm -hmm. Deb, uh, who may or may not have been getting as many voice or on screen roles as she wanted. Let's do another episode on that. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Sold. Okay. Deb, we're going to bring you back. The business end Of of show business